I'm always a little baffled by the, the dating website farmersonly.com. They promise to help farmers make a romantic connection with folks in their local area, which is all well and good. Except when you're a farmer, I mean, how many people really live in your local area? You've got about five neighbors, you know, in the same zip code. I expect you probably know them all already. Back in Jesus' time, farming was a more common uh, profession. Uh, the farms were likely smaller, less spread out. There were plenty of folks in the countryside for Jesus to preach to, and much like that website, uh, Jesus also largely caters to folks who live off of the land. Cattle herders, fishermen, farmers. About half of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God are agricultural metaphors, as he's trying to relate to his audience. But all metaphors break down at a certain point. And in Jesus' famous parable of the sower, a key ingredient is missing, as any farmer could tell you. And it's something more practical than love. We have the seeds, and we have the soil, but gardens don't grow by themselves. A reading from the book of Mark. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on a path, and the birds came up and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60 and a hundredfold. And he said, if you have ears to hear, then hear. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you, and may they be in keeping teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that great gardener in whose name we pray. Amen. So I have to confess that I am really bad at watering plants. A few years ago, our former associate pastor, Kendra, gave everyone on the staff these little potted plants as a token of appreciation. I put mine in the windowsill in my office uh, where I could get some sunlight and promptly forgot all about it. Poor Kendra would come into my office week after week after week and see it sitting there behind me, slowly dying until she finally couldn't take it anymore. Are you ever gonna water that plant? She asked me. Of course, I'd forgotten it was even there. I 
turned around and saw its wilted posture, its gray, desiccated leaves, its melancholy aspect. And I said, I don't know, I think it kind of suits my personality better this way. <laughs> Without water, there is no life, at least not any that we can imagine. There is water in our blood, our bones, our muscles, our skin. Water is one of nature's elemental forces, the stuff of floods and rain and roaring ocean waves, even as it flows in gentle streams and drips rhythmically from wet leaves. We swim in it, bathe in it, wash our dishes and our clothes and our cars with it. We use it to irrigate our crops and water our lawns. We baptize children and believers with it, being a symbol of new life and a conduit of God's grace. And of course, we drink it. There's nothing like a bottle of ice-cold water, especially a bottle of smart water. <sighs> Drink smart water, the intelligent way to hydrate. A person can only survive for three days without water, and yet we take it for granted. So long as it's running out of our taps, falling from the sky, or available in plastic bottles at the gas station, we trust that it will always be there, that there will always be enough to go around. Of course, as some folks have come to learn the hard way, that's not always true. Matthew Room was driving his pickup truck to his best friend's funeral in Indiana earlier this month, unaware of the fact that the trip would very nearly be his funeral. As he was coming up on a bridge, a small woodland creature leaped in front of his car, causing him to swerve into the creek below. His truck tumbled down the hill like a snowball, every impact crushing the steel frame until it came to rest at the bottom with Matthew trapped inside, unable to move amidst the smoking ruins. As bad luck would have it, the truck had rolled just under the bridge, out of sight from the thousands of people driving over it every day. He could hear them rumbling overhead day in and day out, but no one could hear him, even though he screamed, until his voice eventually gave out. For six days, Matthew lay trapped in that steel cocoon. The creek lay just beyond his reach, a few feet away, as his thirst grew. Water, water everywhere, as Coleridge famously wrote, but not a drop to drink. And while he had nothing to eat, Matthew managed to survive by sponging up rainwater that had leaked into his car. I would basically suck the water out of my sweatpants, he later explained. As fate would have it, while the truck was obscured from the road, two local fishermen were navigating the creek. And upon finding the wreckage, they were shocked to find that the driver was still alive. When they showed up, Matthew said, I thought I was hallucinating. Dehydration will do that to you, after all. 
but he was rescued and he's expected to make a full recovery. I expect Matthew is probably enjoying a cold, refreshing bottle of Ice Mountain right about now. <sighs> Drink Ice Mountain, the water that makes your mouth water. Of course, that's just one man's story. On a more global level, drought has been a, a severe problem, as we all know, in recent years, devastating crops and livelihoods as rivers and wells and aquifers have all begun to dry up. Here in the United States, places like Arizona and Las Vegas are especially vulnerable to these shortages as the Colorado River gets drier. It's impacted trade in the Panama Canal where massive shipping vessels often get stuck for a lack of water. And in Europe, rivers like the Rhine and the Danube have periodically dried up enough to reveal what's known as hunger stones, little messages carved into the rocks by folks in medieval times who also suffered from droughts and famine. If you can read this, one of the oldest stones says in German, then weep. According to the UN, in 2023, nearly two billion people, a quarter of humanity, were living in drought. I've been to Uganda where rural villages are home to people who have to trek for miles on foot just to fill up a bucket. Of course, it's easy for us here in DuPage County to take water for granted, given that we live 30 miles from one of the largest freshwater sources in the world. That doesn't necessarily mean that we should take it for granted. I mean, just look at places like Flint, Michigan, that by all rights ought to have clean water in their taps, but for municipal mismanagement. Or look at Texas, where last summer the governor stripped construction workers in Austin and Dallas of the right to water breaks every four hours. I'm reminded of the villain from the last Mad Max movie, Fury Road, a warlord named Immortan Joe. Uh, who rules the wasteland from atop his citadel, which rests upon uh, an old aquifer, leaving him in control of the region's water. And every so often, the filthy, huddled masses of poor folks gather at the base of his fortress as Joe turns the tap on, trying to fill their little bottles and bowls before he quickly shuts it off again. Do not, my friends, become addicted to water he declares through his loudspeaker. It will take hold of you, and you will resent its absence. Clean water, especially in a world poisoned by microplastics, particulates, pollution, and greed, just is not a given. And we shouldn't take it for granted. In Jesus' parable of the sower, he uses seeds as a metaphor for his teachings. Some seeds fall on the road where the birds devour it. Other seed is scattered amongst the rocks where it quickly springs up but wilts in the heat of the day, lacking deep roots. Still more seed falls among thorns or anything that grows is choked. And then there's the seed that is planted in good soil, which blooms into a mighty harvest. Jesus explains that the seed that falls on the road is akin to the gospel falling on deaf ears, folks who just don't want to hear it. 
The seeds sown amongst the rocks are like folks who hear the gospel for the first time and get excited but quickly abandon their faith at the first sign of hardship. They don't have deep roots. Those sown among thorns are like folks who claim to believe but whose commitment is choked by greed and temptation. And then there is the good soil. In Jesus' words, they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30 and 60 and 100 fold. This is where the kingdom of God can grow. Now, this is all well and good, and Jesus makes his point. But that missing ingredient I mentioned earlier, there's no mention of water. And regardless of how good the soil is, nothing can grow without water. It's almost as if Jesus assumes that it's going to rain, as if he too takes water for granted. But like I said, gardens don't grow all by themselves. Last year, uh, as many of you will recall, our church launched an initiative that we call the Eden Project. The aim was to encourage folks to plant gardens on their property and to donate the produce to local food pantries and neighbors in need. And remarkably, our first attempt at this yielded over 500 pounds of fresh vegetables. That makes me really proud, despite the fact that my own contributions were minimal. I mean, my wife and I did donate a few pounds of food, although, to be fair, she was mostly the one tending the garden. I did, of course, you know, get up here many times to talk up the initiative. Uh, of course, left me quite thirsty. When I'm thirsty, I reach for an ice-cold bottle of life water. <sighs> Drink life water. Great tasting. Always hydrating. Is this gag getting old yet? <laughs> we grew a lot of vegetables that year, but this church is planted on good soil to follow Jesus' metaphor, and vegetables are not the only thing that's growing here at church. In fact, the church itself is growing. Our membership, our participation in worship and other ministries, our church school, our engagement in the local community are all growing. We're growing disciples, followers of Jesus who work to build a better world. We're growing our partnerships with Viking in Ukraine and DePage United here in our town and, and making a real impact on people's lives both far and near. We're growing our understanding of justice and injustice, systemic racism and oppression, working on this new initiative to pay royalties for the spirituals that we sing here in church, composed in the cotton fields. We're growing along with our children to be loving, empathic, and forward-thinking Christians and citizens of the world. Our gardens are planted in good soil, thanks to all of you. But they need water to grow. Of course, the water is what we each bring. It's the time we dedicate, the talents we share, and yes, our treasure. Yes, the water is a metaphor for money. Hate to be crass. I only preach about this once a year, just before we send out our annual fund letters. So if this is your first time visiting us, I apologize. I mean, I'd hoped to avoid an annual fund campaign altogether this year, relying instead on product placement from <laughs> bottled water companies. But uh, 
It's just not cutting it. In truth, we all need to do our part, you and I, to tend these gardens. We can't take this special place, one of the, one of the few sane places we've got these days, for granted. Much as I love this church, I confess that I sometimes do take it for granted. I take for granted that the building's going to be clean when our faithful sexton, Jose, is dusting off pews every week and vacuuming floors, tending to dead light bulbs and leaks. I take for granted that everything here is going to be in good working order while our property committee and our facilities manager are keeping it that way at no small expense. I take for granted that the worship bulletin is going to be printed, the utility bills are going to be paid, that there's going to be a delicious reception after a memorial service or coffee after church, largely oblivious to all of the work that's involved. I take for granted that there's going to be amazing music on Sunday, seldom seeing all of the practice and rehearsal that our music staff and volunteers put into it. I take for granted that when our young people go off to church school or youth group, they're going to have a good experience while our Christian education staff and volunteers are toiling and working hard to give them one. I take for granted that our gardens, the literal gardens outside, will get watered. Because I'm not the one out there watering them, praise Jesus. Because if they were, they'd be in pretty bad shape. I'm not the one fixing the roof or paying the bills or teaching church schools or conducting the choir, which might cause you to wonder what it is exactly I do around here. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. Like all of you, I, I try to do my part. And I personally pledge uh, to increase my family's gift by another 10% this year. I know that not everyone is in a position to do that, times being as hard as they are, but if you can, I hope you'll join me. You know, when Jesus came back from the dead, Mary mistook him for a gardener. And maybe she wasn't too far off the mark. Jesus is a gardener. We all are, if we aim to follow him, coaxing love and justice out of the earth. We can't solve all of the world's problems here, but we can and must, as Voltaire so wisely said in the face of life's troubles, tend our gardens. I'm really bad at watering plants, but maybe we can water them together. Amen.